Life Together, a podcast for Gresham Bible Church, where we exist to glorify God in being disciples who make disciples of all people through the transforming power of the gospel. On this episode, we have a former voices of Gresham Bible Church. Really excited to have my dear brother, Dave Barry, on the podcast. Dave, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. So Dave, for those at GBC that um, knew you when you were with Christian Bible Church, and maybe those that have joined the church since you left, you just want to kind of paint the picture for us, you know, how long were you at GBC, what your current role is, and then maybe we'll take two steps back and get to hear more of your personal story before we dive into some questions. So how long were you at GBC and how long are you in your current role? Yeah, good question. So I was at GBC or my wife and I and our kids we're at GBC for, I think, close to three years on the dot, somewhere in there. And then it's been three years since I answered the call to take the role of senior pastor at Flagstaff Christian Fellowship in northern Arizona, Flagstaff, Arizona. And we landed here in October of 2018. So we're looking at some three years and change that we've been here in Arizona. Yeah. Does Arizona feel like home at this point? or You know what? Uh, that's a good question. It does. What's good. interesting is we we moved to Portland from California, and that move from California to Portland was more of a culture shock than going from Portland to Arizona. Oh, and interesting. Some of the amenities that are here uh, are a little bit more similar to what I experienced growing up. So it there's a little bit of a. It does feel a bit more like home. We're closer to family as well. We were all in Southern California. So uh, we we miss Portland, but we really like being here. Yeah, oh, I'm glad. And by, and by amenities, do you mean In-N-Out Burger? Or what do you mean by amenities? No, okay. I, I, I wish. We do not have a Trader Joe's. We do not have an In-N-Out. But we have the Grand Canyon. We have yeah. Sedona. And we have a ski resort about six miles just north of town. So in terms of like outside stuff, there's a lot to do. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And one of the reasons Dave wanted to have you on is hearing from you helps Gresham Bible Church. We're a church family and it hurts sometimes when people uh, leave, when God calls elsewhere, but we want to have that mindset for the big C church and the advancement of the gospel locally and globally. So I think it's helpful just to have conversations with those that have been at Gresham Bible Church at different times. So yeah, would you mind sharing briefly with us, you know, kind of your story, where'd you grow up? Uh, what should Gresham Bible Church know about you, Dave? Yeah, let me give the bullet points uh, of that. I, I'm excited to talk about my time at GBC. It's a very significant uh, part of my testimony, my family's testimony, and a significant preparation to be where I am now. And so I, I don't know if, if my brothers and sisters at GBC know that, so I'm excited to talk about that. But the... Brief of the testimony is that I, I grew up, I was raised in a non-Christian home. I was raised in the Silicon Valley, Southern Bay Area, went to the same high school as Steve Jobs and Wozniak and whatnot. Uh, when I was 21, I moved out of the Bay Area down to the central coast of California to college where I met my wife. I got saved there um, and in and, and getting saved, meeting Jesus and a local church. Uh, was where the the opportunity came for me to not just serve in youth ministry, but to start a college ministry, to be able to preach. That awakened a desire in me by God's grace that this is what I want to do in my life. 
to to preach the word. And through God's providence, that led us up to Portland. We moved up in 2005 so I could go to Western Seminary. And um, that would be the bullet points of getting us to Portland. Yeah. Okay. All right. And how about, so you met Jesus in college. What, you know, maybe just share a little bit more, unpack that for us. What was that like? Yeah. So, so I actually had a friend in high school who was not a believer, but his parents made him go to church and he dragged me along to high school group. And I thought the youth pastor was cool. He was a double A baseball player, formerly had a baseball card. And I was like, okay, I can relate to this guy. This is, and um, it was that junior senior summer that I made a profession of faith. Uh, it was a we had a camp, probably Saturday night. Last message, standing in the back, raising my hand, I do to Jesus. But the that led to a piece of my testimony where I led this hypocritical and duplicitous life. I wasn't discipled, uh, and not that that wasn't um, anyone else's fault, but my love for sin grew at the same time that, that my love for Jesus was just taking off. And so that led to this hypocritical, confused, was I really saved? Uh, I'm not entirely sure I'll have to wait for Jesus to tell me, but that's, that was from up until I was 21. And then when I moved down to college, I remember it was summer, it was July, and I had this overwhelming desire to go to church, which was the most bizarre. I had long blonde hair playing water polo. I moved down there to play water polo. I was happy partying with my friends. And I remember opening this big yellow book. It's called a phone book mm-hmm. and, scroll- and scrolling with my finger, thinking that a church has, there's one, every town has one church. I didn't know that there was pages and pages of churches. Called my mom. She looked up some churches because she had become a believer. Was praying for me, and so basically, it was it was a supernatural impulse and desire in my heart that I desired to go to church. So I, I showed up at this church. Like I said, long blonde hair. The guy handing out bulletins made fun of me. It's my love language. I thought that was wonderful. <laughs> I went in there and I just saw a room full of my peers, eyes closed, hands in the air, singing songs. I was paranoid. I thought I couldn't go to church because I didn't have the right clothes. I had flip-flops, shorts, and a t-shirt. And um, I never looked back. I just, uh, it was a, it was a cul-de-sac of conversion of seeing sin and repenting. But I remember the uh, senior pastor who was a mature 28 was preaching through Job on Sunday mornings and Romans eight on Wednesday nights. Oh man. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of it. So that's where like that conversion was really unique um, where there was, there was a, there was someone preached the gospel to me that was high school. But then what I do know is that over the years, my mom got saved late in life in her early forties she'd write me cards with scripture mm. encouraging me. And so I, she was evangelizing me without me recognizing it. And so I think the Holy spirit used his word and, and the gospel of Christ in my life to mm. give me that desire to go to church and the rest was history. That's beautiful. Well, so, so we'll move here in a minute, but I'm just curious. Sure. I can't remember you sharing that in that exact same way before. So it's like you woke up one day with a strong, overwhelming desire to go to church or looking back, do you remember like your thought process or your mindset at that point in time? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you 
and I think some people will love this. Okay. It's July. I'm laying on this couch from the 1960s. No one's in my house. I'm not going to study for finals, looking for something else to do. I look off to my right, and there's a book on the table that my mom had sent me in the mail. And the book was called Left Behind. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 so dude, the, the, I opened the book, and the next thing I know, I read the first 100 pages. Wow. So regardless of one's eschatological perspective and yeah. perspective on, on on those books, the first 100 pages is people evangelizing other people. So I was just being evangelized over and over again. So did I get saved reading that? Mm. Lord knows. But but I think from that, somehow that desire to go to church was instilled in me. I So yeah, it was it was. It was weird. I love how the Lord works. That's awesome. I always enjoy yeah. hearing people's stories that way. Yeah. You were trying yes. to avoid college finals and God used it for good. So that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So how about, um, we shared some questions ahead of time. There's so much that we could talk about. I would just love to kind of hear what God is working in you and teaching you personally, but then also pastorally, uh, as it relates to, you know, to, to your church that, uh, you're called the pastor, but I'm sure there'll be overlay and relevance for Gresham Bible church too, as, as God's people in two different local churches. So, so first Dave, I would love, we've asked different people on the podcast, this question, I just think it's really, it encourages, it challenges us as believers. So in Colossians 1.23, one of my favorite verses, Paul prays that we remain stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So stop, pause uh, for all of us. And then I want to hear you speak into this, please. Where are you most prone to shift your hope from the gospel, do you think? So you're a pastor, you know the right things to say, but Dave Barry in his heart of hearts, in the you know quietness of your life, where do you find yourself most prone to shift from the hope of the gospel? I don't think that I could pinpoint it on any place. I think it's multiple places. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. it's just just transparent. I'm I'm thinking of how Calvin refers to our hearts as idol factories, and uh, I think latent in all of us is that desire for works righteousness and more. So. So it's it is difficult to separate these last three and a half years at this new church. Um, uh, my 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 private Christianity from my corporate Christianity and my pastoral Christianity, if I could speak that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I think that my tendency, I think a lot of a lot of the places that I and I've seen others tend to shift their hope from the gospel is where they are strong and that we turn our God-given strengths, gifts, and abilities into ends in themselves rather than vehicles of worship. Wow. Uh, so then um, when there's been a hardship and difficulty, relational turmoil and sin and problems and division at church, uh, my I can see that when my knee-jerk reaction is not falling on my knees in prayer, but looking to solve the problem, I'm presuming the resources for the answers to this problem are in myself and not in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work wow. of his spirit to apply the word to people's lives. So really, that's that's trusting myself um, or or con- like kind of related to that would be a species of fear of man that would um 
under the guise of pastoral patience, move away from a necessary hard conversation that -hmm. needs to happen. So that's related, but different. They're all just different manifestations of Mm self-trust. And or um, as I've heard one guy say, gospel amnesia, that I I forget I'm in desperate need of the same gospel that I preach. and And I forget that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. I understand that not just for conversion, but for sanctification. So where am I prone to not? It's like everywhere. I, I, where, where am I not? I don't know. Amen. Amen. I appreciate you sharing it that way as well, that it sounds to me like, or refine my just kind of processing what you're saying, that you have these kind of markers in your life that you know, hey, that shift is happening when I'm more prone to solve a problem rather than pray. When that's my first inclination, th- mm-hmm. those type of things. Is that safe to say? Like, like you have a dashboard of your soul and you're like, oh, I'm off here because this is my response. Is, like, is that, yeah, it's how, like, how does yeah. that play out for you? Yeah. yeah, it's it's um, like the the engine light comes on and I put a piece of duct tape over it or something like that, yeah. rather than recognizing that engine light means it's time to to pray and to remind myself in rehearsing the truths of the gospel that that Christ is king. He has authority over all. He loves this church and me and my family more than I do, infinitely more. And he has more vested in me and this church than I do. And it's his church anyways. Amen, brother. Amen to that. Yeah. yeah. How about, as I was thinking about our conversation, I'd just be curious about your thoughts. This is like a maybe hypothesis and you can prove it wrong or not or improve it. But where maybe a pastor elder, whether lead pastor or lay elder, maybe where our hearts are prone to shift from the gospel over time would be manifested in the body we're leading? Like, do you think there's a relationship to where you're prone to shift? Maybe the body you're shepherding also starts to be prone to shift that way, or is that too much, you know, a clean connection there? 100%. Yes, I agree. Okay. I, I re, so I have anecdotally personally seen and, and then have read here's, here's the comment. The comment I, I, I read in a book once was as the pulpit goes, so goes the church. And I think it's a bit more accurate to say, as the pulpit goes, so goes the elders, so goes the church. Mm-hmm. And and that, that shows my, my polity, you know, plurality of elders in mutual submission to each other with one standing forth as the lead, you know, the leader, senior pastor. So I absolutely agree. I think that, um, what I've seen. And then even in this church that I've come to, my predecessor was here for 26 years. Wow. And this, this body of Jesus loving believers has taken on both his strengths and some of his weaknesses at a corporate level. It's it's really interesting. And so, so yes. So I think that fundamentally when elders gather and we talk um, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors is a reason the Holy Spirit established that. But, uh, if, if we, as a plurality of elders, um, make decisions or take on fears or idols or whatever, yes, I think eventually, um, that comes out in our shepherding and in our preaching and teaching and it affects the congregation. Yeah. Wow. Dave, you've had a front row seat to that so to speak. (laughs) Um, yeah, real time experience. Uh, 
just in the moment responding, what do you do with that realization? Cause, um, I agree with, with you and that scares me. Um, and I know I'm supposed to say that, but it really does just like the dad and my family and husband, my kids are probably going to be prone to some of the same weaknesses, same idolatries, whatever language you want to put around it and then manifest that in the local church. Wow. What a responsibility as a shepherd. Like how do you pastor yourself in that and pastor one another as elders with that reality being the case? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just anecdotally, I remember Rachel, my wife, when she was pregnant with our first child. And the first time that I was able to feel our daughter kick was when it really became real to me that my wife was pregnant. And in that moment was this unbelievably sobering reality that all of my faults, deficiencies, and sins are going to get photocopied onto my kid. And, uh, you know, and by God's grace, that was a then recognition that I need Jesus. I need his spirit. Uh, to expose to me what I can't see about myself and what I can't change about myself, which is everything. Yeah. And that requires the body of Christ. So applying that to plurality of elders, one of the things that we are doing here is this is actually a conversation piece that's live and active at the elder table. When we meet, we meet every week on Thursdays. And um, our elders are in a process of re rebuilding, reformatting what it means to be a biblical elder. And, um, that is, it's a hallmark that guys, as we go, like, or put, another way to put it is, uh, I believe that we function as a microcosm of the church. So if we're hiding sin from each other, if we are not dealing with sin and interpersonal conflict, if we're not exercising the one and others of scripture yep. amongst the plurality, then how can we expect the church to imitate us as we imitate Christ? And so we, we're working as a group of men. There's just four of us right now with a fifth guy aspiring and apprenticing. Um, we're trying to cultivate that relationship quick. And, uh, but we, so we are aware of it. So I think that's the first step. Yeah. And now it's just full reliance on God's grace to make sure that we don't develop a collective sin pattern. Mm -hmm. of avoidance or whatever with each other. Yeah. Amen, man. Preach. <laughs> I love what you're saying. Amen. It's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How about, um, I know we're on a podcast, right? So it's for public consumption at some level, just for Gresham Bible church, but how about for you, your family, your role as a pastor kind of highlights lowlights over the last year or two, what have been the highlights for you? What have been the lowlights? The low light is low hanging fruit, right? I mean, that's that's all things 2020 and 2021. <laughs> I mean, come on, this is it's been ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would say I I have uh, you know friends pastoring in Portland, you guys and others. I've got friends in Washington. I've got friends in California. I, I just have pastor buddies around, and one thing that's given comfort is. Every, to the man, every elder board that I know has faced controversy and division of different degrees over all things pandemic, over all things response to George Floyd, over I mean, all that stuff. Yep. Online. So that that's been so I, I would say that you take that. Okay. So there's that. We've all experienced it. 
but a, a, a subtext for me has been um, part of the reasons, one of the reasons why I came to this church. So this church is 95 years old and we, we've been around for a, a long time, obviously. And um, there's a solid foundation, but there's a need of growth. Hmm. Um, our, our church corporately is in need of sanctification, very similar to Jesus's seven letters of seven churches in Revelation two and three. And so how do we take the solid foundation that uh, was established the previous 26 years and build on it? So some would say this church is what's by definition a revitalization. Okay. Um, it's a group of Jesus loving people um, who there's elements of unhealth and decline. Uh, both those are kind of, I have definitions behind how I'm, why I'm using those terms. So, so I come in as a new guy into, uh, an older church and older churches tend to be characterized as slow or unwilling to change or slow to unwilling to recognize areas that maybe need to be freshened up or repented of and everything in between. Okay. So there's been varying degrees of conflict and issues um, in the church among the elders. So that was a subtext of then you overlay lockdowns, masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines, all that stuff that we've been facing. And so it's been it's been a uniquely difficult time to come in and by God's grace chart a course forward. Instead, it's been uh, headbutting and things along those lines. So, okay. So that's, so that's a, that's a port, that's a cornucopia of discouragements. (laughs) That's that's a good phrase. You should trademark that. Yeah. (laughs) TM. But the encouragement, the encouragement has been that, um, and it's more recent, I would say in the last few months for our fam, our church family, is the encouragement has been the degree to which it's been evident to to watch the word of God challenge and transform people hmm. and and reshape and reform believers. Um, front and center, I've seen um, men who've been in ministry for over well over two decades, three decades, have personal reformations. So there's on a on a personal level that's been deeply rewarding just to see Jesus do those things with His Word, but then the flip side is at a corporate congregational level, there's been some um, shifts in movement in corporate sanctification, more in Christ likeness, and I think more faithfulness to His Word, and that's been and and some remarkable degrees of unity among the elders recently. Wow. And so that that's been that's been very encouraging. Praise God in in a largely discouraging season. Wow, man! So, how would you say kind of your energy or engagement level has been over these last two years? I mean, I'm sure it changes hour to hour, day to day. Has it been consistent, or has it felt discouraging, overwhelming, or what has the experience of this been like for you? 
Well, uh, I guess, what do you mean at the uh, restate that question? What do you mean? So, so basically, I'm I'm thinking through the reality of what you're speaking to and how you're pastoring through the macro level things. It's true for all of us, probably over these last two years, all of it, like you said. But then in your specific context in the church, leading through that, that is tough sledding, brother. And so just trying to think through, like, what is that? felt like for you with your sense of calling with your sense of, you know, your pastoring, your church and your family. Like, I'm just curious. I think you giving some words to that would be, be helpful to hear you speak into that. Yeah. Kind of like how have I personally handled it? Yeah. Well, like what's that done to you? Have there been days where you're like, I can't do this anymore. Is it been a consistent, Hey, I'm called to this and I'm, I am moving forward, you know, no matter what, just what's that been like for you? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a good question. So I think there have been, um, uh, okay. A couple things. So number one, the unique circumstances that brought me here, the unique circumstances that uprooted me from GBC where there really wasn't an intention to leave GBC mm. that brought me here were supernatural pro I mean everything God does right is providential but he gave me eyes to see certain things that happened that I just know that I know that I know that we're supposed to be here so there I have an internal sense of stick to and fortitude I think from the Lord where when it when it seems like it should just like quit and go do something else that um, I I just see God's fingerprints bringing us here, which is pretty evident. So so there's that, there, and that's the leaving GBC point, God's fingerprints, so to speak, and then looking at my arrival here, God's fingerprints. So that that has allowed me to stick to it. But I mean, it's it, it's um, it's been difficult. You know, I'd, I'd like to say that that I've I've handled things just ultra piously and perfectly, but it's just been a tremendous season of sanctification for me of my brother elders, helping me see things I can't see about myself, um, of, about recognizing, but one thing I recognized family life wise is one of the main ways that I model Jesus to my family, specifically my kids is through repentance. Now, Jesus never needed to repent. Uh, but in terms of the gift of the gospel of being to repent, there's been more times that I'd like to admit that I've had to say, Hey girls, the way that I, um, talk to you or my tone of voice or what the words I chose, that's not how Jesus talks to us or treats us. Mm -hmm. And I was a bad example of Christ. So you need to think about Jesus and not daddy in that way. Yeah. And I think part of that is the reality that, um, our families can tend to take the brunt of the worst remaining sin in ourselves. And so, so how have I handled it? On the one hand, there's a sense of call. Uh, that's not the best word to use, but there's a sense of this is where the Lord has us now with no intention to leave. Yeah. But then those stresses um, at times are given to the Lord in prayer, are confessed to fellow elders knowing that people are praying and sometimes the the sin just comes out and that's usually um 
neglecting my wife and 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 functionally making a ministry widow, which which disqualifies me from ministry if I become characterized by that. So there's a there's a strong sense of not having my family take the brunt yeah. of stresses, anxieties, fears, sin, things along those lines. Yeah. Um, the the flip side is Jesus is evidently here. Really good things are happening. Uh, there's encouragements. There's encouragements in my children uh, moving towards the Lord. And so I don't want to paint exclusively sour and dour picture, but like, um, yeah. I, I love you, brother. Um, I appreciate your honesty, <laughs> your focus on the Lord and not just in a check the box way, but how you live day to day, how the gospel applies in our life. And amen about repentance. As dads, we should be the chief repenters. As elders, we should be the chief repenters. Um, mm -hmm. All of that. Yeah. Well, well, how about, I had a few more questions, but first yeah. you brought it up earlier. I'd love to kind of connect the dots on this stuff. So you shared, you know, hey, we didn't look to leave GBC, but God, you know, it's always providential, right? But just clearly he was moving us. Could we kind of like lean into that a little bit more? Sure. You know, like what, what would you say, hindsight, looking back, what did the Lord teach you during your time at GBC? And I don't want to make that, yeah, GBC is awesome. More like how God used his church in your life during that distinct period of time. I think that would minister to people. So this, this church that I'm a part of now is the fifth church that I've been a part of in my entire Christian life. Hmm. Prior to this church, I would say that GBC was the healthiest church that I had ever been a part of. Mm. Um, and so when, so prior to GBC, uh, myself, a group of friends and a team of people had been church planting in Troutdale for four years. And I remember that at year three, uh, somehow, I don't remember how Virgil and I connected, but we connected and, uh, you know, buddies and, um, I just threw it through a turn of events. It became evident to myself and the elders of redeeming grace. That was the name of the church that we were, were planting that from my perspective, GBC was everything I'd hoped that we'd grow up to be, even though GBC was, you know, five or six years older than we were, whatever the age gap was. And so for, so our small church plant voted unanimously, bittersweetly, to close the doors and fold into GBC. Mm. And speaking personally for myself, uh, it was, it was a, I called a season of a working rest and a season of, um, I, I want to say healing. I just think that's a little bit, that's too therapeutic and I could be yeah. misunderstood what I mean by that, but I was just running on fumes and, and I think the year that we pulled into GBC, I had something like seven or eight different W2s to make ends meet, to have the family. Oh going. I mean, it was just, it was just, it was anyways. So, so GBC was coming into uh, just a family of good and godly people. You know, the people I was around the most were the elders or guys looking to elders uh, which you brother, one of them. And it was just a real sweet time of refreshment for myself where I was overjoyed to take the 
the high school min- or the youth ministry that, that Joe Bryant had started to take his heavy lifting work and just run with that. And so I say working rest because uh, without devaluing at all, starting a middle school and high school ministry, the nature of, of the, the load and weight of doing that versus planting a church and preaching to a group of adults every week is just, it weighs differently. It's less weighty. So I say working rest where it was a season for me to um, just, yeah, take my foot off the gas and uh, love our GBC kids, love my GBC brothers and sisters, teach the word, have a great time doing that. Uh, Really good, just fun, felt a lot of support, but there was a theological component as well. And the theological component was how GBC and GBC's elders understood the local church, what defines a local church, and what are biblical metrics to look for for health. And I had some exposure to that, but but minimal. And so that's when I say GBC was a healthy church and seeing how a plurality of worked or a plurality of elders worked, um, the way we organized our Sunday services. Um, and more the the grace that I really uh, felt extended to me to take the ball and run with it ministry wise and and that during the last year our last year at GBC uh, the church blessed me by helping me go start working on my doctorate and that was a sweet time of nerding out on Jesus <laughs> and so yeah I'll, I'll I'll just pause there and say that if you have any questions on those things. Yeah, Dave, thank you. That's um, awesome to hear you talk about how God uses his people, the church to accomplish his purposes and what you learned about the church. And yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, when did you become Dr. Dave Barry? During lockdown, man. So yeah, so we, so maybe two things that have changed. since I was at GBC, a lot of things have changed, but one, uh, we had a sixth child. So, and it's a boy. So we've got the five girls and now we have a boy. Congratulations. Yes. Um, and so that was a whole unique thing of Rachel being pregnant during lockdown COVID. And then, you know, I, you know, having the baby during lockdown um, or right after it. And then, um, yeah. So it was during the lockdown that I, I, I walked by sitting in my guest room at home and watched <laughs> Albert Moeller give uh, a benediction. And so it was kind of funny. Like all my buddies, were, we got, we, all the guys in my cohort that we moved through the doctorate together, we all graduated together. And so we all yeah. got on the same Zoom call and watched a pre-canned message from Moeller. And so you could look at us and we're all wearing, just dressed down, nothing fancy. But one guy, the Georgian friend, he, he got his full regalia and he was dressed up in his backyard, drinking his sweet tea. Was, oh, that's amazing. Moeller. Yeah. What a um, time in your family's life and your life you'll never forget. So sixth child, a boy, getting your doctorate all in lockdown mode. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. And, and what's your son's name? Jack. Jack. Awesome. Yeah. I'm sure he, you guys, you and Rachel have a ton of helpers to help with uh, the little man. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a joy. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Um, well, kind of a question I had ahead of time and just hearing you speak to it. Um, so I don't know the best way to categorize it. Right. So in this cultural moment, 
biblical language in these present troubles, which is always true, but these things that are real, that have impacted relationships in different churches and GBC and Flagstaff Christian Fellowship, you know, what are those um, things that you're most uh, prayerful about that are opportunities or that are challenges to the health of the church, to the advancement of the gospel in these present troubles in this cultural moment, you know, in your context, I think it'd be helpful to hear you speak about that. And then maybe from your vantage point at GBC for three years and looking back, but still knowing us at some level, what are those things we need to keep our eye out on that are hindrances to the gospel? And what are those opportunities for the advancement of the gospel right now? That's a good question. And I may not, I'm going to meander. Do a little bit, please. and then, and then, um, my questions aren't clear. Yeah. They're totally meandering. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I maybe a year ago, I don't remember what it was, but I I read an article. It was an interview. So, this is the positive statement. Uh, well, I think everything I'm going to say is positive. Well, whatever. <laughs> uh, the the article interviewed some. Uh, pastors in their 60s and 70s and it was and they were all senior pastors and it was comparing the tumult that we're seeing right now culturally and all the upheavals and all the division and everything that's going on and they were likening it to what they saw in the late 60s and a lot of the riots assassinations and turmoil that was happening vietnam era all of those things and they just acknowledged how at the same time in that major catastrophic cultural upheaval politically, socially, and all the things that were going on in the 60s and 70s, that that was gave rise to the Jesus people movement. And, and essentially, a, a type of revival took place where there was a unique work of the Holy Spirit to see many people who did not know Jesus come to Jesus and in some cases, people who did know Jesus become more like Jesus. So I think revival is a unique work of the Spirit that not only is about conversion and discipleship, but it's also about sanctification. So that gave me hope that in a hopeless world and unstable world and uh, divisive and devouring world, that Jesus Christ it has all authority in heaven on earth. There is no authority outside of his authority. Every king, magistrate, potentate, and person is going to bow down to him at Amen. one point or another. So I, um, I, especially talking to some older saints in our congregation in their 70s, 80s, um, the notion that we are in a unique circumstance for revival, I am hopeful mm. for that. Mm, because um, now... To pray for revival does not absolve us as a church of, um, I think sometimes you can talk about revival and it becomes this abstract idea where the Holy Spirit's blowing around and uh, John 3, you know, the wind blows where it wants. He's doing his thing and we just see people getting saved. But the Holy Spirit works through the body of Christ in preaching the gospel faithfully Amen. and and whatnot. So, so there's that. Um, honestly, brother, I'm trying to, personally and pastorally make sense of these times. There's been a few uniquely helpful pieces that have been written that are helping me 
uh, see things that I haven't seen before mm. and maybe get perspectives that I haven't had before. I'm learning things about myself um, and that, I mean, you can tool into those things that I, that I haven't seen before, but I will say this. Um, when, when you talk about creeds and confessions, uh, our age group and just the, uh, we talk about gospel centered and yes and amen and, and more can be said. But I realized that when you look at creeds and confessions and statements, that um, gospel profession often also has denials, so affirmations and denials. Mm-hmm. So you look at a statement on inerrancy or something like that, and we're going to affirm that scripture is inerrant, and we're going to deny that um, there's a reader response where who I am or what I am dictates the truth of scripture. You no, know, God tells us what his word says. So all to say is I think that an error that I've had I've been like an airplane flying with one wing and the mm-hmm. one wing is gospel centered. Here's all the things that I'm for, but I haven't wanted to touch or didn't think I was supposed to touch what those denials are in the current cultural moment that you need two wings to fly to have a faithful gospel because um you know I've got a bunch of systematic theologies on the shelf behind me and and they uh, systematic theology is a timely telling of scripture answering timely questions well what does the bible say about this and how does it speak to this circumstance so i think there was a, a um or I, um ignorance and i mean that in the best sense i just didn't know what i didn't know mm-hmm. that um in an effort to say i'm just going to preach the gospel there's another po- part of that where it says but the gospel speaks to specific issues. And so I've just been learning that. Yeah. Yeah. So learning that pastorally in terms of leading a church in regards to those lines and being faithful to the gospel, I'm just trying to think more like what would be a specific example of what you're sharing? Yeah. Concrete. Well, I mean, behind that is the whole string of pulling on politics. Yeah. And, and without maybe getting into the weeds of it, I will just say this, that there has been, um, a blind spot in my understanding where I think unintentionally I had reduced Christianity outside the church and in the world as exclusively evangelism. Mm. And that's right. it. Yep. So there was a sense in which Romans 13 was not in my Bible where, um, or when first Peter talks about it, where, where there, there is a, it means something to be a Christian citizen. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so, uh, so f- for me, a an angst that I had, let's say, look back to masks and lockdowns, was you had people on both sides arguing pro and con, and but what I did not hear, and this is what began to awaken in me, was. On what biblical basis should we be pro or should we be con? Yep. And on what biblical basis basis would we mask or not mask? And and biblical basis is how do we know that we are either obeying Romans thirteen or disobeying Romans thirteen mm-hmm. and and more? And so that's so so I've and my church family here, uh, I'm thankful for them, is a uniquely. Um, 
politically concerned group of saints that I have not ever been a part of. And so my pastoral deficiencies and just understanding what it means to be a Christian citizen have been exposed Mm -hmm. because I've been playing catch up. So that's kind of what I mean by affirmations and denials. And and just, I, I think that the Bible speaks to every aspect of life. It's sufficient for all things. And so therefore, it may take more biblical synthesis and steps, a jagged line to get to a certain conclusion. But if we're going to talk about the border or gun rights or masks or vaccines, um, we should be grounded in scripture first and have a biblical basis for why we're making something that's clear headed and aware of the other side's position to be thoughtfully engaged. Yeah, I, I so appreciate what you're sharing, Dave, at a, at a lesser level. I resonate with that in terms of blind spot or deficiency. When you think generationally, I mean, our generation uh, hasn't re- really ever had to work out those muscles before in our Christian faith. And to our detriment, we should be and should have, but we're not. And so we're kind of playing catch up in regards mm-hmm. to those things. So I'm agreeing with what you said that I didn't know what I didn't know, blind to my blindness. And in this case, I'm not faulting anybody, but prior to our current cultural moment and world upheaval and all the stuff is um, I was not trained theologically to think what it means to be a Christian citizen. Hmm. And how does Romans 13, there was never a class on those things. So I've been having to um, basically... Uh, disputes over masks and vaccines and critical theory and more, all of those things has driven me more to a foundational level of how, how have we arrived at this cultural moment? um, And what, what, what is politics? And so I've been taking the last, ever since it's been going on to basically um, a self teach take my mm-hmm. skills I learned in my doctorate to understand a, a political theology. Wow. And then wow. build that framework up to then have that be able to address specific issues. Wow. That's awesome. Um, can I have a signed copy of the book someday or what <laughs> yeah. is that? <laughs> yeah. Don't hold your breath. Okay. Oh, no, no, that that's awesome. What, how about, so kind of trying to wrap this to a, a close, want to respect your time. What, pastoral encouragements, like, would you give Gresham Bible Church? So from your vantage point, even those things you've just spoken to and articulated um, to be a faithful gospel witness in our time and place, just any encouragements you'd have for us as a church. And then I want to hear how we can be praying for you and your family and your church family. Um, I think a local body needs to pre-agree as much as possible. What would be sinful to fight about Hmm. and what would be sinful not to fight about. Wow. Okay. So that statement is coming from a statement that's like over well over a decade old from Albert Moeller, where he talks about theological triage. Mm -hmm. And then there's been at least two very helpful books published in the last two years on that topic. Um, Remember the name of one can't remember the name of the other, but one is by one of the Ortland brothers. I forget. Right, F- which finding one. the right hills to die yes. on. Yeah, and then there's a there's a long there's a longer one that I haven't read fully that is well acclaimed, and he actually does a really good job talking about how our emotions and sentiments and traditions play into our theological judgments. Wow. 
but I, I, I preached a series, maybe it was two years ago. I'm not sure how long ago it was, but it was on the conscience and theological triage. Mm. Try to introduce to the congregation that there are gospel issues. There's matters of first importance. And then there's church issues. There's lines that we have to draw. Are we going to baptize babies or not? If so, why? And then will that be an issue we're going to divide about or not and more? And then um, debatable conscience issues that we can be really passionate about, but it would be sinful to divide over. And I was trying to begin to work with the elders and our church, and I don't have it all worked out in my mind, but um, I just think it's an important thing that every Christian personally and every church corporately needs to think about of having, I don't think the goal is to put every single possible issue in the world into a bullseye to triage, yeah. Yeah. but but we need to to think about those things. Yep. Amen. I love that. We've that's real time, man, <laughs> for, for sure. Amen to what you're speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, we, yeah, I guess we, well, anyways, that's, I'll say that. Is that, I don't remember if there's more yeah. to your question or not. Yeah. No, I was just wanting to hear from you, like your pastoral encouragements to Gresham Bible church from, you know, where we are, things you're processing and learning and, Amen to to what you're saying and to use your language earlier. I would affirm that 100%. And that is something we're working through here at GBC too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I one, one unique thing that I've experienced, and, and so I, because I'm in the middle of it, I, I don't think I can speak uh, maturely to this. But uh, I and my wife, we've, you know, born and raised in California. Then we moved to, we're in Portland for 13 years. Then, you know, here we are in the Southwest um, at 7,000 feet and living in this small to mid-sized college town, Yeah. Um, you know, by the Grand Canyon. And that's three different cultures. And it it's, there's an element where there are, living in Portland has a set of assumptions and instincts that even believers have. That is different from assumptions and instincts that I experienced as a Christian hmm. in California. And then now moving here, I'm really beginning to see it, especially where one of the blessings of this congregation is being 95 years old, we're heavily intergenerational. Um, we have a significant portion of our membership that's in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah. And so that with that comes um just perspectives on what it means to be a Christian in the world, but not of the world. Hmm. And so um, I, I, I really don't know what I'm saying other than maybe one thing that's hard to do is, is to, uh, I think part of our pastoral ministry is to place ourselves in the pastoral shoes, as it were, of, of different areas. So we opened, we were locked down for just until like the end of May. And then we have been open wow. since. So, so what we've experienced in Northern Arizona has been vastly different from what you've experienced in Portland. Yep. And I've, I've just wondered um, what would have been like if I had never left Portland Would my perspective be different. So yeah. I don't know what I'm actually saying to you, no, I don't you're... Exactly what I'm advising you, but there's different perspectives that being here has helped me see things a bit differently, I guess. Yeah. I think you have a lot 
to bring in shepherding your church because of those different uh, perspectives and contexts you've lived in. Like I'm just thinking in first Peter, right? Shepherd the flock among you. So that helps you know your flock better because you see those comparisons and contrasts. something I'm trying to process in myself too, in terms of, um, you know, idle factories in our hearts, like what Calvin yeah. spoke to, and then each whatever city location, et cetera, seems to have its own particular set of idols. So what are those sets of idols that are influencing me and GBC that we don't even know about? And so trying to think about it through that lens to not over contextualize, but just to be aware of that. So that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And the different circumstances. So, I mean, my encouragement to GBC would be um, now my understanding of GBC. I don't know how, you know, how much change and, and new, new saints have come and other saints have moved on. Um, but what I do know is that GBC exists because Jesus wants GBC to exist. And that you guys are, uh, you guys are a light, uh, to the community and beyond. And you guys have been in a season of transition, um, a significant one with elders and pastoral staff leaving. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that this would be a sweet time to capitalize on exercising the biblical one another's look up every single time the new Testament uses the phrase one another, implement those into your body life mm-hmm. and, and, and stay faithful to following Jesus and seeking the wisdom of wisely applying his word in your context hmm. to your lives there. Thank you, brother. It's a good word. Yeah. How about Gresham Bible Church? How can we be praying for you, for your family, for your church family? Uh, for my family would, would be that we would be a family where um, we all love Jesus together and help each other know and follow Jesus. So the conversion of my children to love the Lord and not profess Christ because their dad's a pastor, uh, which, you know, the dangerous fishbowl. Yeah. Um, or be repulsed by <laughs> being in the fishbowl. And I, I would say that uh, as a church family, continued increasing health and attentiveness to what Jesus says in his word about what it means to be us as a constituted local church. And then our life, especially in our town. So one area that our church needs to grow is we, we do, um, you know, Acts, Acts chapter one, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. We do the ends of the earth very, very well, Hmm. but our witness to Christ locally. There's a lot of personal evangelism going on, which is praise God that it's happening. Amen. But there's an element where we as a, a body could grow. And I don't say know how in our, our local witness. Okay. So, yeah. So biblical unity and uh, our witness in town. Okay. Excellent. That's a uh, distinct prayer we have for Gresham Bible Church this year, growth in that too. So we can be praying for you as we're praying for ourselves. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Hey, it's so good to hear your voice and connect. I, I miss you. Um, thank you, man. This has been really good.
You too, brother. Miss yeah. you guys. Love yeah. you guys. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Gresham Bible Church, I hope this has been an encouragement to you to hear from our dear brother, Dave, and be praying for he and his family and his church. And if this conversation sparks any questions or you want to talk about anything more, feel free to reach out to me. And that's at Mike at Gresham Bible.org. All right. Until next week, love you, Gresham Bible Church. Thank you.